0: My father protected me, taught me, kept me alive. And that's exactly what I'm going to do for my son.
1: Hello, Dexter Morgan fans. And welcome to the Dexter New Blood Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Reynolds, writer and producer of the Showtime original series, Dexter, and now the new Showtime special event series, Dexter New Blood. If you're listening to this podcast and you have been watching (laughs) Dexter... I would encourage you to take up this great offer we got. For those Dexter new Blood wrap-up listeners who don't have Showtime yet, visit show.com slash DexterPod. Once again, S-H-O show.com slash DexterPod for a special limited time offer. You get to try Showtime free for 30 days, then just $3.99 a month for your first four months. This offer is for new customers only and expires November 30th, 2021. So you should do that. Because that's a pretty good deal. Is that a good deal, Jack? Yeah! Joining me to break down the second episode, Storm of Fuck, is Jack Alcott, who plays Dexter's now teenage son, Harrison Morgan. And later, we're going to talk to the episode's writer, Warren Shue Leonard, to discuss how the story came together and how he was once a lawyer for the Dodgers. Yeah. Welcome, Jack. Thanks for coming on the uh, Dexter Wrap-Up Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So good being so close to you again. <laughs> <laughs> Love sharing a mic. It's great. This is wonderful. I had a different experience than you had as far as becoming Harrison Morgan. I got to sit back and watch people like audition and do all that. But you, you had to give it all <laughs> to uh, to get this role. Let's talk about being cast as Harrison.
2: It was one of the most bizarre casting experiences I've ever had. It was awesome. It started with, you know, getting a breakdown and a set of sides for a character named Randall.
1: That's right. That's right. We kept it very close to the chest, yep. as we do all things on Dexter.
2: Yep. And and I had, and I had not watched any of the show was not oh. familiar with it at all. I mean, I knew it was a show and that was about it. I threw together a, a self-tape like, you know, like one does, particularly in the middle of quarantine when you can't go see anybody at all. And
1: Oh yeah, everything's completely different. It used to be maybe send a tape in and then you'd come in and perform and do whatever. Oh my God,
2: yes, absolutely. And this, this, it had become this sort of like, oh, I'm going to, you know, work my butt off and, and, and send in this thing and probably just not hear anything at all. Just, you know, send in a tape and sort of forgot about it because that's what you're supposed to do. You know, months went by and I guess was like, I, I was, you know, I guess I didn't get it. Cool.
1: And... And let's say on our end, we were already fans of your work because of what you did on Good Lord, Bird, playing John Brown's another, let's face it, rather conflicted father figure. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm two for two with like really badass TV dads. That's for sure. Ethan Hawke as John Brown, on sh- and that's on Showtime, right? Good yes, Lord, Bird? absolutely. So you were sort of familiar. You were familiar to us because of what you did, especially that. Thank you. I don't want to spoil what happens in that after the train moment. Oh boy! But that was quite a scene. It was quite a moment you gave us in that. So we were already like, you. we were primed for greatness. That show was a blast. But yeah,
2: I, I sent in a tape, and you know, I felt good about it, and and didn't hear anything back, and was like, okay, guess not. About a month later, I get a call back. She's like, oh, you got a call back for Dexter. And I'm like, oh my gosh! It's it's for uh, Randall, and I was like, oh, awesome, because that 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 role, I, I when I read, I was like, this is really interesting and cool, and was very excited to do the callback, and so on. And you
1: still didn't know that who Randall was? Not at all. That's great.
2: Not even a little bit. And so I have a a, a Zoom callback with Ross Myerson, our casting director. There's there's no notes going into it. We're just going to like we're just going to do one of the scenes he said. You know, yeah. have all the scenes ready, but we'll probably just do one. And there's only one's there's one scene in the packet that I really don't want to do because it's like an emotional scene where I got to like freak out and oh god, I really don't know try to do that over Zoom. This is good. This is <laughs> terrifying. Of course that's the scene we're doing. Yeah. We get there. Ross is great. There, you know, we exchange pleasantries, and then we we do the scene. We make it through the scene. And I, I feel okay, and and Ross sort of shakes his head and is like, "Yeah, I just don't believe it. I don't believe any of it." We, he gives me some notes, and we, he's you know, this is the the stakes need to be way higher. And we need we need to get to this place and and do this and that, and let's let's do it again. And, and now I'm desperate. Now I'm like in Jackson actor Jackson panic mode, and <laughs> we do the scene again, and make it through and he sits there and he shakes his head again. He goes, yeah, still not getting it. And wow. I'm like, oh my God. All right. Well, this is when he, you know, kicks me off the Zoom and I like, you know, am sad. And he's like, I want to go back again. Let's start from the beginning and I want you to hit this beat here. And and he starts to get really specific and I'm like, okay. And so we, we proceed to kind of really slowly work through the scene and he kind of coaches me through it. We finished the scene, and he's like, that was really good work. And I'm sort of like, I'm in such uncharted territory. This is so weird. And this
1: is after we'd already seen your first edition and said, we like this guy. So Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's why he was trying to find that thing.
2: I guess so. And so we, we finish it, and I'm thinking, okay, we're done. And he's like, all right, let's go to the second scene. And I'm like, oh, we're <laughs> – oh, shoot. All right, we're really doing – and so we do the second scene. Which I'm much more confident with. Is I'm gonna, I'm gonna redeem myself here. Different. The scene requires different things. It's a scene with Dexter. There's lots of other stuff going on. I'm like, all right, let's go. And it's, and it's like everything's wrong again. I said, no, <laughs> no, man. You know, we. Ne-. And so we work through it again. And I've never felt more sort of insecure and like, gosh, I, I must be really screwing this up. And we finish. And he's like, all right, we're definitely out of time. But if you could log back on in a couple hours, I'd love to see you do the last scene. And I'm just like, oh. Okay. Wow. Four hours go by. I log back on. We do the last scene. We do it once. And he's like, oh man, I hate to like make you wait all that time and and only have you do it once, but that was great. And I'm like, what, what's going on? I'm so, I was so confused. And he was, and he was, he was like, you know, thank you so much for sticking with it, man. And like, you did great work. And uh, I think you've got a really, a, a better handle on the character now. And I was, I was just sort of like, Wow! Thank you. I, I was so confused yeah. and just like this is just, this is just such a new thing. This had never happened to me. And I was like, well, thanks so much, man. And you know, thank you for sticking with me. Clearly, I was slow <laughs> on the uptake. And I hung up and and called my reps, and they were like, yeah, he already got back to us. He said, you know, I took a minute, but you know, he got some really good work out of you. And I was like, well, I'm glad that he's, I'm glad that he's, I'm glad everybody's happy. Like, yeah. what, what is what does this does this mean anything? And they were like, no, absolutely not. No. And then they're like, we want to have a session with the with the director.
1: Yeah, with Marco for Siega.
2: Yes. Yeah. And I'm like,
1: awesome. And
2: they had just sent me an NDA to sign, and I wasn't really sure why, you know. And I, I didn't have all the info. Right, because you
1: still didn't know. Still I knew nothing. Yeah, what this still, was.
2: still knew nothing. And. They're like, yeah, I mean it's just it's just you and, and and Marcos and casting. Oh, by the way, no, actually sorry, you're reading with Michael C. Hall. And <laughs> I lost my mind. They send me the sides and suddenly my name's Harrison.
1: Did it click at that point? Were you did you know enough about Dexter to know what that was? I'm or? only
2: just now watching the show at this point. Uh, like, and at that point like I was I was in, you know, once had the podcast started. No, I was watching the first season. <laughs> oh. I was like I wasn't even an idea yet. And so I was like, clearly this is important. This name change is very important because I had to sign an NDA to see it, and And, I did some sleuthing. And and Dexter's
1: dad's name is Harry. Yeah, and this guy is named Harry's son. Yup, and (laughs) yes,
2: no, the dots very slowly were connected in my brain, and I was like, oh. And I remember being late to that Zoom, you know, everybody's wonderful and they're
1: like, yeah, is no, no, no perfect. The perfect feeling you want to have before you're about to act with Michael start. C. Hall.
2: Yeah, yeah, we're off to a great start. And uh, before we start, Marcos says, hey man, before we start, I just want you to know that I, I think you're really awesome.
1: That's so I- Marcos.
2: I th- I've been watching your work and your other auditions and I really, really think you're fantastic. And I just, I don't want you to be nervous. In this session, because this is just about us seeing how we're going to work together yeah. and seeing how you know what new colors we can find in the scene the work you've done is already great so I just want you to be able to relax and have fun in the session and that like just massive weight off my chest. that's great it was it was unbelievable and uh, we we read we just read the scene a couple times and I mean reading with Michael with Michael C. Hall, it's like, oh well there's there's Dexter. Oh my yeah. god! And it was it, everything. Just became so much easier. It was like, wow! I don't have to act. I just gotta say the words and listen to him say the words. And it he's
1: a very giving actor, like you. Like he's, you know, he's yeah,
2: wonderful. And yep. it was a pretty quick audition. And I remember hanging up from that and and calling my reps, and being like, that was great. <laughs> that was that, that guys. That actually was great. I don't, you know, and then, and then was like, then I was super invested in fingers crossed and absolutely freaked out when I got it. And then freaked out again when I started reading the scripts. That was, see, that was the thing when it really, that was where it really clicked. Yeah. Was when I started reading and realizing like how cool this role is, how much I had to chew on, all the amazing scenes I was going to get to have with all of these amazing actors. The number of times I like had to put my computer down and like dance around the room, like, oh my God, I get to do that with X, <laughs> Y, and Z. Like, oh my gosh. That was when everything really clicked, was was starting to read. I think I read all 10 episodes, 600 pages in, it was less than 24 hours. Like, I just, I read all of it. It was was awesome.
1: So let's talk about what it was like to, you know, that first episode, first and second episode. I mean, the scene I really want to talk about is Harrison breaking in to Dexter's cabin. You know, the first time Harrison sees his father in 10 years is his dad has a hatchet. Yeah. (laughs) Ready to kill him.
2: (laughs) That was a that was a really wild scene to film. And I'm, I'm actually really, one of the most intimidating things about this entire project was how it was cross-boarded and how out of order we shot yeah. everything. And just jumping all over the place and shooting the end in the beginning and the beginning in the end. And shoot, you know, just constantly jumping episode to episode, director to director. You know, it was disorienting at times, but I remember being really thankful that that scene, that was like one of the few times I was like really super thankful we didn't shoot chronologically. I was like, I'm so glad that ironically, that yeah. i that
1: I get to work into it a little.
2: I get to work into it a little bit, and I ironically that I have a relationship with Michael now, and that, you know, even though the characters don't, as actors, we have a solid relationship and just a ton of trust. It's a really intense scene, and it was one that we both could just sort of, like, you know, dive into without abandon and just, you know, yeah. really, really go for it because it's so hard for both of those characters. And we shot that in the middle of, like... It was, i think it was like a week or two week period where it was we shot all the stuff in the cabin and it was just me and michael like every day yep. all day which was
1: awesome. those days and was were that, so great was that cabin i can't remember it gets it gets to be a big blur was that cabin in the woods off the frozen lake or was that cabin <laughs> that was soundstage, on set? Cabin. was soundstage cabin that was okay,
2: soundstage okay. cabin yeah
1: so this was you know probably like 12 weeks in at this point yeah, yeah
2: no we we had we had been going for a good bit
1: breaking in breaking and entering and being greeted by your father with a hatchet
2: yeah. That was that was an, uh, that was an unbelievable scene to film because as an actor you're always sort of chasing the like, you know, oh, if I just if I just feel it. You know, if I like if I can really entrench myself in the story and really immerse myself in the character that, you know, it is the story that makes me feel things. I'm not I'm not like drawing on my like yes. my childhood trauma to like get emotional in a scene like yep. I am affected by what's happening to me in this in moment, moment as this yeah. character. And just turning around and the amount of tension that just is instantly there the second that I turn around and see him and trying to read him, like trying to read Michael as he went through all of these emotions and and buried all of them and yeah. then kind of gave me his classic, Dexter, yeah. you know, oh. Got the wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you find who you're looking for. Yeah,
1: hand some money over. Does oh. That little... That little shake that he does when he's Yeah, that yeah. Little head bob a little bit. And meanwhile, let's talk about the Deborah in the room. There was a Deborah in the room that you're <laughs> not supposed to see.
2: Yes. That was a real that was like through again through the entire show. Very, very cool experience to get to work slash not work with Jennifer (laughs) Carpenter, who's just so awesome. And I got to see, you know, other than Michael, probably saw her the most of anybody else outside of Michael because she appears a lot when he's dealing with his son. And so it's
1: all about Harrison. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so watching her work was really, really cool and seeing how it would inform like the moment that we're having, you know, in that scene. It's like, which you know, I kind of as the character like I don't really want to know that because I yeah, I yeah, need to have all yeah, these yeah. questions, but as an actor it was really really cool to just like see how these how these different pieces fit together to like create this crazy picture, this crazy story. You know, I remember one of the later takes, you know, we've been doing it a little bit and you know, always trying to find something new and do it a little different and you know, you're making new discoveries in the scene and and I can't remember what it was, but like he gave me like I don't, I don't think it's in the episode, but I remember one he, in one take. He like give, he gave me like a sad little smile, and there was like oh my god, there was a hint of like you totally know, and it like I remember feeling just all of the breath just sort of fall out of me and yeah. leaving that scene and walking like out like onto a soundstage, you know, walking right. out of that cabin on into like because we
1: shot you walking away twelve weeks earlier.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, the walk. Yeah, the walk down the driveway was. Yeah, had been done a million years ago. And just sort of stepping out the door into the soundstage and just being like, "Oh my god, yeah, my
1: heart." <laughs> this, yeah, this scene. It's the. I think that'll be a question a lot of people have. Like, did Harrison believe that he made a mistake, or when Harrison says, "If you don't want me, just fucking say it,"
2: yeah. No, is he's, he's he's my dad. I know he's yeah. my dad. No, it's
1: it it's makes like, it even worse.
2: It's the most heartbreaking thing ever. It's like I come to learn that my father, you know, abandoned me. I thought he died. I come to learn that he abandoned lot. me. That's a lot. Yeah. And I spend a crazy amount of time searching for him by myself. I like traverse the country
1: yeah.
2: only to get there. And have him reject me, but not even not even with a real rejection, not even there's not there's not even there's no honesty, there's no closure, it's just this sort of i, I you you get nothing yeah. you get nothing, sorry, you get you know, twenty bucks. I hope you find who you're looking for like yeah. oh my gosh, yeah no it's it's it just absolutely gutted me as an actor and a person and a character, all of those yeah. at the same time in that moment, oh man, when that landed, it just was like, geez. and then. You know, and then we cut and I was like, nice! <laughs> and Michael was like, nice!
1: And that, you know, even in that moment, I remember there was takes where there were tears and takes where there weren't because that's always, the, that's Dexter's question. Is, is my son a psychopath, a sociopath like me or is he normal? We certainly don't solve that at the end of episode two. But uh, yeah, it was a great, great heartbreaking moment that sort of sets up the whole season, I think, really well. I'm leading to Dexter going to the bus station. The way we constructed it was—it's really up in the air whether or not Harrison would be willing to go back home mm. with this man who flat out lied.
2: Because mm. if that's yeah. what
1: you're saying, if that's what you're revealing, that you know—in our heads, Harrison knew.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was—that was probably one of my favorite scenes that we we filmed in the entire project. But I mean, that choice to come back—I mean—comes from a couple places, I think. It totally comes from like, you know, well, I still need answers, and this is the way that I get them.
1: Which leads into episode two very nice.
2: Which leads yeah, yeah. into episode two very, yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, below that, is even though he's hurt me over and over again, I'm still a kid who's always wanted a dad. Yeah. And here he is, saying,
1: I am your father. I'm Dexter Morgan, your father. Please come home. And like, hearing, hearing Dexter say, please, he, he doesn't do, do that. that. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that doesn't come naturally. And then even the next morning, though, you know, inside the cabin. Oh, that's yeah, that is yeah, 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 that
2: is that's a that's an absurd amount of silence. That yeah. we just open the show. I love that. We like when we the first time I watched it, we you know just cuts right in on like staring match. Yeah.
1: What do I say to the son that I abandoned? Oh my god.
2: You got you big got big. Yeah, <laughs> holy crap. <laughs> That was that was a ton of fun. That was uh, I don't know how much, uh, how many roast
1: beef sandwiches I ate. You and in dry, and we purposely. So you know, we purposely when Harrison goes, I could take a sandwich, and Dexter's like, all right, I've got a way in, and that's sort of like Dexter's secret, right? Dexter tries to find ways into people's lives because he doesn't know naturally how to do it. Hmm. So with cops, it's donuts. With you, it's a sandwich. So he gets, you know, makes this very dry sandwich. And when we were breaking in the room, we were like, so should you bring him a water? Should you bring him something to drink along with it? And we're like, no, because Dexter's very literal. He said he's hungry. So Dexter, being Dexter, brings him a sandwich. Getting to that final conversation where Dexter offers a cot Mm -hmm. and some clothes. Very simple things, but, you know, those mean a lot, I felt.
2: So it's a big gesture.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I hope you stay. And Harrison says, I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't come here for this. I came here for answers. I came
1: here for answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you have these two men sharing this same hurt. Mm. Want to talk about that? Like this dark tendencies. Dark tendencies? <laughs> yeah.
2: No, it's like it's in, in reading that letter, it's like it's the only thing that— sticks out to me it's the only it's it is the first thing i see is the first and the last thing i see when i when i read his letter it's that there's something wrong with me this must be why he left because there's something wrong with me and i don't know what it is but it must be terrible yeah because he he faked his own death to leave me yeah it's it's not
1: just a divorce like a lot of kids Have that have those feelings of like, why did that must be something wrong with me? Yeah. That's what why if, they what left. if it's my
2: fault? This is like, oh, this yeah. must be my fault.
1: He didn't just leave me. Yeah. He faked his own
2: death. And, <laughs> and then <it's> a- referenced <laughs> it directly that I have something wrong, that I have dark tint, And and that I think that just fuels all of Harris that is at the center of all of Harrison's anger and loneliness. Like mm. because I'm different. There's something wrong in me, and whether or not I know what it is, I'm alone. My father left me, and then yeah. you know, and then my I never knew my my mother and my my stepmother's dad. I've been I, I literally left alone and have nothing but because I find the letter when yeah. when Hannah dies, and so I have this terrible rough go. I, I'm I'm in I end up in a bunch of of, of not great foster homes and yeah. and you know, kind of kicked around and. When I finally find him, you know, he he rejects me again, and yeah. there's a lot of there's yeah there's a lot of hostility there, and it you know I think a lot of it surfaces and me sort of say what's wrong with me yeah what did what did you see in me that was so dark, and then when he you know flips it around and says dude it wasn't you it was me yeah it's almost hard to process yeah it's well it's not all it is
1: hard to process it's almost impossible to process because Harrison's memory of Dexter Morgan is the uh, bright self, this you know, this happy-go-lucky man who makes yeah. pancakes and is goofy. He's awesome with kids and yeah. great with kids. Yep, yep, because that's Dexter cares about kids because of his own past. You know that Harrison has no idea about. Yeah, Does, doesn't know anything. It's quite an ending.
2: It's that first glimmer of hope, like yeah. like between them, and yeah, and I love I love the the ending of it. I love the the bit about that we come back to pancakes. Basically, yeah. but not blueberry pancakes, and I finally sort of make a concession because I'm just sort of an asshole to him <laughs> through the episode. You know, I through won't take anything that he gives me, nothing. And then, yeah, that's like the first concession. I'm like, you know, yeah. okay, maybe, maybe regular pancakes. Yeah, it's, I, nice. I love that moment.
1: Yeah. So Dexter, you know, psychopaths sort of don't know how to look at things that are outside their own influence. You know, they everything is a reflection in some ways, right? Mm. They define things or or how they could use it or how they can manipulate it or whatever. So Dexter the whole time is looking at Harrison and thinking, well, he must be just like me. Because the flashbacks to, I don't know if you remember the flashbacks to young Dexter, he's like sweaty and awkward. Yeah. And you really don't want to hang out with that. painful to watch. Yeah. 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 So Dexter the whole time is like thinking, well, he must be just like me. And much to his surprise, Harrison goes an entirely different way.
2: Oh, yeah. No, Harrison's like, you know, he's got all these similarities to his father that we, we keep getting glimpses of, which keep it really interesting but then I, I i love how just glaring their differences are it's like oh yeah. you know and and it really fuels the the question like maybe he's you know maybe he maybe he's not like me maybe he is yeah. like, you know we, we and we and we it keeps us actually asking the question.
1: Yeah, I mean Deb for sure watches it and says, "Look, it, he's not an awkward as fuck, budding serial killer like you."
2: Exactly. Were. Yeah. yeah, he's he's quick on his feet like Dexter, but he has that extra. You know, he's he's more human. Like he's not. Yeah. He never comes across as the sort of like textbook sociopath lizard person that Dexter like real just is constantly showing moments of. Yeah, like there's none of that. Like he's a little more naturally charismatic and. Yeah. And comfortable. Just, yeah, and there's a level of comfort and confidence that I think Harrison has, partially from just, you know, being, you know, 16 going on 40 because of how (laughs) all the things he's been through. So all the, you know, the young people stuff, it sort of doesn't mean as much to him, which is ironic because I, you know, I'm I'm constantly worried there's something wrong with me. With the exception of that, it's, there's a, I'm comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. In a way that Dexter really isn't.
1: Nope. And for sure, wasn't when he was sixteen.
2: Oh yeah. yeah, not even close. Not even close.
1: Yeah, that that moment when Scott tries breaking down the door with a piece of wood, and Harrison, I feel like you see that confidence in Harrison, the way he looks at Scott, just like what? We what? are not the same, <laughs> <Where> am I? <laughs> yeah. Who is this caveman? <laughs> yeah. Wearing a black Christmas T-shirt. What the heck is going on with that? Yeah. And then Harrison just goes up and does it, and then you see that first sort of attraction between. Harrison and Audrey in that moment when when she says, my mom is not going to like you.
2: Yeah. And then we cut to Oscar Wahlberg and he's like, damn it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) Competition, you know? Yeah. He's a great foil, foil or friend to- Oh, uh, he's
2: yeah. Such a really cool, like, frenemy. Really interesting character in the show that I think he just, he kicks ass.
1: When he he just asks that, that question to push Harrison as the weirdo, how'd your mother die? Yeah, and we just see that hit Harrison. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: no, that, was a, that was a cool moment. I like that in that it, it it is sort of the first moment that it's it's not at all a red flag. It's not there, no. but it's it is the noticeable thing where, oh, oh, wait a minute, like yeah. something's off there. Yeah, and, and co- are, are we going to see more of it? Are we not? Okay, and he just and he covers
1: just- and goes outside and gets some air, and like he seems like someone who knows his his boundaries, yeah. knows when he's got to step away, yeah. and then he sees. Them dig- digging through his stuff. Any of your favorite moments that you had in the first two episodes? Any things like the behind the scenes moments, things that happened even in your trailer or outside or just before you stepped on, acting with Dexter, acting with with uh, Johnny, yeah, Julia. Like any of those.
2: The last scene, the of the of the first episode at the bus stop was. Yep.
1: It was an emotional day.
2: Super emotional day.
1: Very last day. was your last day, day. that's My right. last scene. We saved that for the very last day I'm of so over eight that months that of did. shooting.
2: I remember being, everyone asking me, like, oh, are you going to be sad? Or, you know, and I sort of being like, oh, I mean, it's definitely going to hit me probably when I get home. I'll be fine. It's not a big deal. And Michael and I gave each other, you know, gifts and yeah. notes and stuff that were very sweet. And we're shooting the scene. And uh, we get all, we get the master. We get, you know, some, some two shots and some stuff. And it's 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 a it's a great scene. That like it's it's a quick scene and it flows well. And it's like awkward in the right spots. And it was like ah, this is this is good. Like I'm glad I'm doing this with a you.
1: A lot is said without words. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. And we we do my coverage and it's goes really well. And you know, it's you know there's there's just the, the nostalgia sort of creeping in and. Uh, we're doing the last couple shots, and we're on Michael. And before what we think is our last take, Michael just looks over and is like, I love you, man. And I'm like, You're I awesome. love you too, man. And we do one more take, and it's great. And, uh, and uh, it just sort of still hasn't really hit me. And then Marcos yells from over at Video Village, all right, guys, I've got everything I-, I need. One more for you guys. Yeah. And then he called action, and then it hit me. I was like, oh my God. It just hit me like a train and I instantly was just trying to hold myself together. (laughs) And I won't, of course, I won't look at him for a big portion of that scene. And by the time he says the thing about like, oh, it was, you know, it wasn't always, it wasn't always so damn cold in Miami, which is what makes me turn. By the time I turned, I already just had tears like streaming down my face and I wasn't on camera, so it didn't matter. And I just gave him like a really, really big smile. And then he started to get choked up. Like yeah. through the end of his little thing. And it was like, well, this takes
1: totally unusual because this
2: <laughs> makes no sense for them to both be like crying here. It's um, like an
1: alternate universe, the texture. Yeah. yeah.
2: Like if this was the end of the show, maybe. Like <laughs> and they cut and we and we just hugged each other. Yeah.
1: Hey man, thank you so much for coming on this and sharing all of this stuff. This has been awesome. Yeah, Absolutely. man, it was awesome. We'll have you back further in. For sure, because uh, there will be lots to talk about when you come back on this podcast. Oh, I'm sure there will be. And we're back. Join me to break down the second episode, Storm of Fuck. Yep, we say dirty words on this show. <laughs> Joining me to break down the second episode, Storm of Fuck, and discuss how the story came together is the episode's amazing writer, Warren Leonard. Hello, Warren.
0: Hello, Scott. Hi. Hey, man.
1: So uh, let's get into it, because you have such an interesting story, Warren, about how you became a writer, because I wouldn't say yours was a normal path. (laughs) Uh,
0: No, it definitely wasn't a normal path. I think, you know, I had always wanted to be a writer, but I kind of had no idea how to become a writer. I grew up in rural Maine. So for me, I took a much easier route, I thought, which was to become a lawyer. And I did that for about 10 years. And I worked as a lawyer for the L.A. Dodgers for about six years. Sorry for your loss. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, it was a good year. And then I made the leap and became a TV writer, as one does. Yeah, I'm like, how? <laughs> it's, you make it sound so easy. How do you go from uh,
1: a very, I mean, you know, there are people that would that would cut off an arm to be the lawyer for the Dodgers. In some yeah. ways, you sort of achieved a pinnacle of something and then... This just wasn't
0: feeding you or what What was... Yeah, I mean, I think that was it. I think I, I'm a huge baseball fan, you know, and I had the perfect job as a lawyer and I really still wasn't happy. And I think that, you know, it told me that if I can't be happy doing this as a lawyer, this is not what I should be doing. Hmm. Yeah, so it was a little bit scary. I made the leap. I quit my job and, you know, I got lucky and, and got staffed pretty soon thereafter. And I've just been working ever since. Was your first show a lawyer show or... It was. I think my first three shows, maybe four shows, were law or legally related. So, yeah, yeah, that was how I moved in.
1: And Did you write like a spec that everyone loved? or?
0: I did. I wrote a legal yeah. procedural spec that got me my first job. Although I feel like my first showrunner hired me because he was actually a huge Dodgers fan. And he just wanted <laughs> to hear the inside dirt of like what it was like to be there. <laughs> But yeah, so I was I did a lot of legal shows and then kind of branched out later in my career and, and ended up on a Marvel show, which I loved, which is what I was working on when I got the call from Clyde asking yeah. me if I was interested in coming to work on Dexter. Clyde is a giant fan of yours when he told me,
1: he was like, what do you think of this guy? We both come from Marvel, so… That's fun too, mm-hmm. right? You were you were Runaways.
0: Yeah, I was working on yeah. the second season of Runaways. I remember yeah. the moment I got the call from Clyde. I was on the Paramount lot, and it said Clyde Phillips, and I pulled it up, and he said, "You know, any interest in coming to do this with us?" And I, it was a you know immediately a dream come true. I was I was so excited. You
1: were a Dexter it. fan before you'd watched it.
0: I was a Dexter fan. Yeah, I'd seen, you know, I'd seen up through Clyde seasons. I'd seen through yeah. season 4, and I think season 4 is like almost a perfect season of television. So, I was a huge fan of the whole thing.
1: Yeah. I was a part of it, but I also was a huge fan of the whole thing, which is fun to write for things that you are fans of. It's amazing. Such good times. You were this awesome voice in the room from beginning to end. So glad you were here for this New Blood season.
0: It was amazing. It was a great room. Let's talk about the return of Dexter's
1: voiceover. So last episode, you know, the first episode, we didn't hear Dexter at all, his inner monologue, which is such a huge part of the show, until he actually makes that decision to kill somebody. So in a lot of ways, this episode was kind of a return to form as far as voiceover. You want to talk about like yeah. writing voiceover, what that was like
0: to finally get to do it. I mean, you were like... For us, it was great because we had the template of eight seasons. And his voice is so clear. And, you know, for me sitting down and just starting to conceptualize the episode, I mean, even from the very first moment, the very first scene, you're literally in his head with the first line of like, what do I say to a kid that I abandoned so long ago? And, you know, it just felt so real. And he was dealing with these, you know, parenting issues and issues of abandonment and issues of identity. and. It came very easily, I think, just because the the moment felt very pure and real to me.
1: I mean, that's a big part of this of this episode is like how much does Dexter reveal to Harrison? When we were breaking the episode, we start with this big, long, uh, awkward, kind of funny in a Dexter'y way conversation. What do I say to the son yeah. that I abandoned all these years ago? And he's sitting across from yeah. him, and like a almost an uncomfortable amount of silence between them as they just stare at each other. And mm-hmm. then Dexter says. You got big.
0: (laughs) Yeah, which is, you know, there's nothing that you can say in that moment, right? There's nothing that you can say in a 10-minute conversation to cover however many years, you know, a decade, uh, or however long it's been they've been apart. And so I think we captured that sense of the distance between them really well, and the voiceover helped us do that so much.
1: Yeah, it's Dexter letting us in to feel his feelings, you know? yeah. And and a lot of times we talk about Dexter having an unreliable narrator, but I feel like in that opening conversation, you crafted something that was, it was very reliable. Yeah. He was telling us the truth about himself.
0: Totally agree. I think that every I think everything he's saying in his monologue, in his internal dialogue is true. I think he's really feeling the pressure and the fear of what he's going to do with this kid that he doesn't know anymore. And I think also, you know, the fear of like, am i going to fuck up my kid you know yeah. by him just being here which obviously we got through through Deb's persona in some of those early scenes as well but it's all very real and relatable parenting stuff yeah i mean the parents in the room we
1: all were talking about th- this this felt like a very personal season to a lot of us because you know i'm i was constantly worried that i was screwing up our kid <laughs>
0: As a a parent, obviously, you know, I have a a young son and that's something we're worried about all the time is, you know, are we fucking up our kid just by the choices that we make without even knowing it? Yeah. I think one thing that's kind of cool, this is a little bit personal, but, you know, one thing that was cool for me for this scene was I was actually able to draw into my own personal experience for this opening scene. My parents had split up when I was very young, when I was six or seven. Mm -hmm. And I had gone to live with my dad and hadn't lived with my mom for almost a decade. And then I had gone down. She invited me back. You know, I hadn't really even seen her for almost a decade. Wow. She invited me to come spend the summer with her. And I remember that feeling of being like 16 and not really knowing her and the awkwardness of that. And I was able to use that in the scene because it's, it's almost exactly what happened, minus the serial killing yeah. elements, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> in my life.
1: I remember you sharing that in the room and we were just like, um, tell us more. And you, you sort of <laughs> be, became this like driving factor for for all of these sort of conversations between father and son. And th- and thus, you should write episode two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I sure. think that that's, yeah. you know, that's when your best writing comes is when you're you're digging into something personal and deep.
1: And then the episode sort of like begins with this long conversation, this long awkward conversation where not much is really said other than, on, except on Harris's, from Harris's point of view, you know, Dexter learns that Hannah died. Mm-hmm. Which was a, a killer moment watching watching Michael as Dexter watching Dexter experience that loss in that moment, and then have to continue forward and just be there for his son. Yeah, was pretty amazing. I got to say,
0: and also all the guilt that he felt immediately felt that realizing that you know Harrison had been on his own, which I think yeah. all that stuff he says about I regret it now because I I never thought you would be on your own. That's all real. Yeah he means that. And they played it beautifully.
1: Yeah. And it's an odd thing for a uh, a psychopath to feel Mm -hmm. guilt and regret and actually feel guilt and regret (laughs) because he does love his son leading to that end conversation. You want to talk about that, that end conversation, the letter, all the revelations that come out
0: of that? Yeah. So he had learned from Angela, basically. he had had that great conversation with Angela about how to be a parent to Harrison? Just start with something simple, right? So yeah, yeah. So he's moving in, and and he he gets the things. It's a real olive branch, I think, to say that I can try to live up to this role of being your dad, which is a huge thing. And then the revelations of the letter really opens up this thematic that's you know brought up. I think in dialogue at some point, Dexter says, "Like father, like son." Yes about Harrison. I didn't want the police in my, up in my business, Harrison says, he says like father, like son in voiceover. And really that's like, that's kind of the thematic for the episode in a lot of ways. It opens up the question of how much Harrison is like Dexter. That's going to be a driving narrative force, I think, you know, and that revelation of dark tendencies in the letter, did Harrison have dark tendencies, is a huge thing from Harrison's perspective. I think that everything that dexter is saying to harrison in that moment also is true that it really was about dexter yeah you know that the fear was it was all about dexter and not about the son.
1: yeah it allowed him to be open as open and honest as he possibly can be because that is that's like dexter's big wish from beginning to till now that he wishes he could be open and honest and be accepted you know to belong in some way yeah, And It was a powerful moment on set and the words that you wrote of Dexter saying, I always had my demons, you know? He was able to open
0: up just a little bit. Obviously, Dexter has so much to hide and and he's done such a good job of hiding it for so long. You know, I think a lot of the episode is about him saying that this is what happens when he gives in and he's yeah. rusty. Yes. And he is rusty. You know, he's gotten so good at hiding who he is, I think, that that there's real danger for him to give in And the fact that his son has appeared and entered his world and and is so close to him, he thinks that this is the thing that's going to keep him on the straight and narrow path for a lot of the episode. And I think it's actually just a real danger for him. A danger that, you know, letting anybody get that close can be so problematic for him in his world. He knows that.
1: Dexter, on the one hand, is trying to be as open and honest as he possibly can with his son to keep him around. Meanwhile, hiding the truth, like we literally have him doing these things on the Kubota, <laughs> when he's talking with his son and trying to be honest and talk about what life was like, while he's swerving, <laughs> swerving the Kubota, mm-hmm. covering up the blood, the blood splatter, right. bring you know, bringing his son along as as Deb says, your idea of hang time is uh, covering up a murder. It's gonna be tough.
0: I mean, I think <laughs> we as writers are doubling down on Dexter's ability to have it all, right? So on some level, yeah. I feel like at one point in this episode, he kind of does feel like I can be a dad and I can be a serial, I can be Dexter, I can be who I really am, I can be a serial killer too. Yeah. And I can get away with it. And we're just stacking the odds <laughs> against that happening, I think, by you know putting someone he cares about so close. And then the other thing is I think he has to figure out if he can be a father, if he is a father. like. To what degree he can actually be a dad to this kid you know that long laundry list of things that angela tells him he's going to need to do pretty pretty soon if Harrison's yeah. staying that's like really overwhelming to any parent and i think to dexter three times as overwhelming you know yeah it's going to change his whole life there
1: yeah it's he's formed this life that's made it very safe mm-hmm. for him right yeah yep. Yeah. he's a fish and game guy during the day he goes back to his cabin. He goes for a little run to wear himself he has out, and then he goes to bed. Mm-hmm. And then he, yep. you know, gets pulled over by Angela, and they have sex. It seems like it's, mm-hmm. a, pretty, it's a pretty good life. It's <laughs> like a nice, calm. Yeah, yeah. Everything is controlled. For yep, and then mm-hmm. Dexter is a very, if anything, he's a very controlled human being. And then in walks his kid mm-hmm. that he loves, and he wants to be a part of his life, and then. He's constantly fucking things up, right? Like even just that moment that I I loved when Angela just is gonna go inside to get some tea like she always has done in the past when the search party is there and suddenly Harrison walks out and she's like, your son? (laughs)
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Watching Dexter's face drop.
0: Yeah, that was a great moment.
1: Let's talk about Harrison and that anger. You drew a lot from your own experience of, of that abandonment. How'd you feel about Harrison's anger and watching all of that? Bubble up.
0: Yeah. I thought, first of all, I think the actor is amazing. He did a great job. Check Um, out Cut. He did a great job with it. You know, the walls are up. And you don't, you know, one day of somebody reaching out to you and giving you a code at the bus stop is not enough to erase, you know, however many years it's been that, that Dexter wasn't there for him. And the walls are just realistically going to be up for a very long time. And I thought at the very end... You know, when Dexter says to him, this is the cot scene, he says, you know, maybe I can be there for you now. That's a, yeah. that's a legitimate thing that Dexter's saying. And I think in Harrison's heart, that is absolutely all that Harrison wants to hear. It's, it's his dream come true that he's not alone in the world, that he does have a father who cares about him and wants to be there for him. But it's so scary to commit to that, to believe, to be vulnerable. Yeah, and maybe think that he understands me. You know, that's... Yeah, and there's that element as well, for sure.
1: Sort of solitary life. Let's talk about Deb a little bit. Sure. Deb's point of view was run away, stay away. I mean, that's one of the most heartbreaking scenes in that first in the first episode when Harrison shows up and says, are you Dexter Morgan? And Dexter has to lie.
0: Yeah, that was so well played. And it's interesting. I I feel like Deb's line... Obviously, you did a lot of work on set for... What Deb would represent into, yeah. I think. Yeah, it was really surprising to me when she went so strongly at Dexter, but at the same time, it is it is the part of him that's trying to protect Harrison, so you understand it.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you that. Was it was it surprising seeing your imagined version of how Deb was going to be, and then what she was? It was for sure.
0: It was a struggle yeah. for her to yeah. sort of like
1: figure out because I'm. She's like, I know how Deborah Morgan would play it. But she's like, I'm not Deborah Morgan. I'm, I mean, this was, this was something we were constantly reminding each other in the room of like, yeah, it's got to be true to Deb, but it's really all Dexter's creation.
0: Yeah, I thought it worked really well in the episode. I thought they were really powerful moments when she stepped in and, you know, all the way from the beginning of the episode with the, the bullet on the glass, you know, these moments that he's having of her just like right in his face. I mean, she literally yells at him like, you smug fuck. By the end of the episode, like you don't have to appreciate the wind so much, which, you know, you really feel the internal war that's raging inside Dexter, even in his face is so calm, you know, the way that Michael acts it so wonderful, but this war is raging and you understand both sides. You know, you do understand everything he's lost in the past. And I hope that you're already starting to care about Harrison and worry a little bit about what he's getting into without realizing it, maybe.
1: Let's talk about Angela as a cop. So when we, were, when we were creating the show, we knew we wanted an Iron Lake, we wanted a small town. I want to talk, just talk about like how we landed with her being a part of the Seneca Nation and being a cop, an outsider. We, like, we really worked hard to sort of make her feel like an outsider too.
0: Yeah, I grew up in rural Maine and there was a, a pretty large Native American population near where I grew up, Penobscot Nation. And I was really channeling sort of that area of the world and the way there are these two separate communities. And we thought having Angela have a foot in both communities, she feels a little bit like an outsider in both communities, right? I mean, I feel like we we decided that Angela probably went off. I think we decided that she went to like Cornell or something for college. You know, she'd gone off away from the area and then come back because she felt some responsibility to this place, right? And yep. and went back and made a conscious decision that she was going to, you know, she was going to be the chief of police in this town, not necessarily where she, you know, the specific place she grew up, right? Yeah. And she's the first female. Right. And first Seneca. Right. <laughs> so she's a trailblazer in that way. And she's she's somebody that can finally represent the interests of that that world that she came from. But obviously the irony is that some of the people that she grew up with don't feel that way about her. So we really like those internal conflicts for that character. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Kurt. Cause he's he's sort of like this presence in the first
1: episode a little bit. Cause you know, we we hear about when my dad finds out what mm-hmm. you did, yeah, you know, incredible. he's gonna a world of pain. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's gonna bring he does all that. And then in this episode, you know, Angela sort of makes reference to like, we gotta get a hold of Kurt, we gotta get a hold of the dad. Mm-hmm. So he's this thing. So we were building this episode up to this big speech, this Frank (laughs) Capra-esque big moment. And then we said, all right, we look forward to seeing what you write, Warren.
0: (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. One of my favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life. So it's funny that you say Frank Capra. Obviously, there's a bit of George Bailey in the bank at the end of, you know, during the the run on the banks. Element of that. I think it also plays into the power structure of small towns. You know, where I grew up, there are these families that have just been there for generations and everybody knows the, you know, the Grosses and the Snows. And like, I think yeah. there's a reference to- uh, The Gigs? The gig gig is based on a real person. I snuck that in. <laughs> the the, yeah. the county store, basically, in my hometown was run by a guy named Gig Limeburner. So I just pulled the name. And Mrs. Gross and her yeah. sheep in the beginning, you know, that's based on the Gross family in Penobscot. I mean, that's one of the fun things you can do, obviously, as a writer, is just drop these little Easter eggs. I noticed there's also an Easter egg in the bowling photo that Harrison picks up. Yeah, yeah, very fun Easter egg (laughs) uh, for our audience to find. But yeah, you know, like the power structure of these small towns is like these families that have been there forever, and they've amassed power in these small towns. And I think we were kind of playing into that with him coming in and having everybody know him, and and everybody is intertwined. And it also spreads sort of like stark relief on. Dexter, that he's trying to be this person in a place where he is still an outsider, even though he feels like an insider. You know, in Maine, they say you're not a local Mainer until you're like three generations in. My dad, you know, moved there in 1981. And I think in the early 2000s still felt like he was an outsider because the families have been there for over 100 years. So it was fun to play off of that character and the way things are intertwined and the power that Kurt has because of that. To undermine all of Dexter's carefully laid plans in the episode, he's so smart about everything that he does, but he can't foresee that this guy's going to roll up in his truck and be able to just press everybody's buttons in the right way to keep that search going. you know. And then obviously that reveal in the end of where the body is. I remember that was one of the things that I think Clyde had on day one. Yep. you know, There were a lot of images yep. that Clyde brought from day one in the room he was like it's this image it's that image it's that image and there they are on screen like just exactly as he pitched them that slow yep. pan down to the body was there from the start and a great reveal like digging in diagonally underneath and putting the body there and also
1: like because the fire pit mm-hmm. the, that's the only spot where the ground isn't frozen yep. you
0: know yep
1: for sure yeah, yeah. Yeah, that whole Kurt sequence was so well written. First of all, great job on that. But also watching Kurt step in, creating this moment where, like, even Harrison is looking at his dad, who's just brought him in, but he's looking at this dad that's willing to do anything to make sure that he does not lose his son. Yeah, yeah. And here's this dad that lost his son for ten years and is now saying, "No, I want you back. I want you to be a part of my life." Mm-hmm. And it sort of sets up this this thing that's going to happen the rest of the season.
0: You know? Yeah. Thesis, anti-fathers and sons, man. Yep. Of, of fathers.
1: Parents and parents and kids. <laughs> Not easy. Lastly, I want to talk about my big surprise when you turn in the script mm-hmm. was you
0: created a character by the name of uh, Scott. <laughs> yes, I know. Yes, that's the most important thing that we should talk about. Yes, the Scott <laughs> character. I was a little I bit, was surprised. No, I'm glad. It was fun. Um, I mean, I think, obviously, Scott, your institutional knowledge like brings so much and brought so much to the writer's room that it was fun to put a character in name Scott. It was so surprising when I find that there's a character named Scott who loves horror films and slasher
1: movies and wears horror t-shirts yes. every day.
0: Yeah. And it he was, becomes the main character and, after episode 3, right? So it'll be fun to watch that journey for him. <laughs> Dexter's sidekick. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. You can great. cut that. You are uh, exceptionally good at like
1: writing teens. It's funny. 'Cause you're not a teen. <laughs> but you know, you were you were given this like sort of very hard task of doing something we've never done on the show with Dexter before, watching Harrison interact with kids. Cause first of all, Dexter's like Dexter's worried about his son because right. all Dexter knows is his own experience where he was as, you know, as as Deb says, awkward as fuck, budding serial killer teenager. Yeah. And then he's watching this kid who is Gets along great with everybody. Who walks up to the girl and has a conversation, isn't worried about hanging out with teens. And then you, and then you were given the task of writing the first like full on, here's a bunch of teens breaking into a cabin in the woods with somebody, the son of
0: a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And you knocked it out of the park. Oh, thanks. I mean, I have worked on a couple of, I had worked on Looking for Alaska, John Green adaptation for Hulu. And I'd worked on Marvel's Runaways. I had some teens in it as well. Yeah. I mean, it was fun to bring that energy a little bit to the world. I mean, I really liked that moment when Dexter says to him, like, it's okay if you want to go in the cabin, you know, and just chill. I know it's hard to meet. And he's like, no, I'm cool. I got it. And he just goes and, and, and talks to, you know, the girl. I feel like that's also a part of parenting. It's like, you know, the things that I'm worried about my son, you know, doing, he's not worried about them at all, you know? So it was a very relatable moment for me as a parent as well.
1: Yeah, it was, it was great. It was a great scene.
0: Yeah. You, you handled it well. I just want to give you credit because one of the things that I love about this episode is the title Storm of Fuck. And obviously, you know, we were trying to find, I literally remember like Googling, like, what are Deb's fuck catchphrases? And there were so many of them. And we found (laughs) it. (laughs) And it was in the script. And I remember we were, I don't know, I was probably calling it like Father Like Son or something like that. And you at the lunch table, you were like, what if it's Storm of Fuck as the title? And it was such a great thing. And at first I was like, Really? <laughs> like, can we do that? Yeah, can we do that? <laughs> but um, but no, it's a great title, and that all goes to you too or, as well. So thank you for uh, that.
1: Well, you really wrote cool. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was great. All right, it was great. Cool. All right, hey, listen, Warren, thank you so much. I'll have you back for episode six, right? Cool. Yeah, we did that together,
0: right? So yeah, 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 that was yeah, fun. yeah that'll be fun. Yeah. thank you, Scott. All right, well, great. thank you so
1: much, right. and uh, until next time, catch you around. All right, bye. And that's a wrap for this week's episode. Listen every Tuesday and subscribe to the Dexter New Blood wrap-up wherever you get your podcasts. And watch Dexter New Blood Sundays only on Showtime. This official podcast of the Showtime original series, Dexter New Blood, is produced by Showtime in conjunction with Malka Media.